you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. None other than Tony Hawk, Todd Peterson. Yes, yes, sir, everybody. Thanks for being on, Jordan. The League presents Electric People. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is another episode of Electric People, and we're really excited about our guest today. We've got the one and only Mark Smith and obviously Ty Williams. We uh, we asked Mark to be on our podcast because Mark is a man of many talents, but mostly he is a sales extraordinaire. Ty, do you want to run us through his rap sheet real quick? Yeah, so I mean, you've got all, a list. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that when Mark was here, the senior leadership team, we did a thing. We all had nicknames, right? Mark's nickname was simply The Mark Smith. The Mark Smith, yeah. It's like The Ohio State. The you, the Mark Smith. Yep. Well, Mark's. <laughs> We're going straight to well, the, the U. <laughs> Miami is, they call it the U. And I mean, unfortunately, there are literally 10,000 Mark Smiths across America. So we wanted to make sure you knew. No, See, I have Everyone thinks that's a common name. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's stuff like that, man. Right? I, I, I anticipate this episode will be jam-packed oh. of stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yep. Uh, so Mark has had a really impressive career um, advising on sales and um, operating in vice president roles. So uh, DevCon security in the early days of our direct sales industry. Yep. Uh, Front Point, also security company, director of inside sales for Vivint Solar. Uh, Joist was senior advisor, VP of sales, Wompley. And now you're a full-time growth consultant. You yep. run your own company and you consult people on sales. Um, speaker, editor, podcast guest, father, husband, golfer, car collector, and a myriad of other things. Whoa. The Mark Smith. Well, we forgot Mark is LinkedIn famous. Should we go there right there's now? There's Kylie Jenner on Instagram <laughs> and there's Mark Smith on LinkedIn. And the other question I have for you, Mark, is how many pairs of shoes do you own? So I've paired them back, but probably, I don't know, 60 or 70. This particular pair, what are we looking at? It's a it's a bit of a solid, smooth-toed loafer. Okay. Where does one go to get a shoe? Like solid, smooth-toed Moby is my mobile site. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, funny story about being LinkedIn famous, though. So I ran into Mark, uh, what was that, like two months ago at Something the airport? Like that. Yeah. Uh, in the Orange County Airport. And uh, just a treat. There are very few people that you want to run into at the airport more than Mark Smith. Because I feel like we have so much to catch up on every time I see you. You're yeah. one of those people that I just want to, like, talk to. And it came up in conversation. He's like, oh, well, hit me up on LinkedIn. And I said, I'm not on LinkedIn. <laughs> and the look that Mark gave me is the kind of look where, like, your grandma says, I don't do computers. Well, you are a grown man. That's right. And I'm a quasi-professional man. You know You're very I mean? professional. Yeah. And so he said, he's like, uh, he's like, get on LinkedIn and I'll help you out. Come to find out, true or false, Mark Smith has a larger following than Tony Robbins on LinkedIn. So I don't think I have a larger following, but I do have more engagement. So if, I, po if I post things, I get significantly more interactions and likes and comments and all that. He was in this whole time. I had no idea. So tell us how that actually started, because sure. literally, uh, we're kind of joking about being LinkedIn famous, but since I'm now on LinkedIn as a novice, I've got like 58 connections. <laughs> I've got a pretty juvenile picture. Okay. I haven't filled in my resume. I could use some consulting. For sure. Um, but your <laughs> posts on there, you're, you're an expert on LinkedIn. You actually, they're, they're very succinct. They're mm -hmm. very consultative. And they seem to help a lot of people. Although I do, I will, before you get into it, I have noticed you will purposely stoke the flames uh, every now and again, especially in the uh, comments. We call that pandering with purpose. Especially in the comments. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so first of all, it is a great honor to be famous on the one social media platform that you can't monetize. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I had the same play on Instagram, yes, I would not be sitting with you guys. I would be talking with you, but I'd be like on a private island swimming with my pet otters. Like, <laughs> there's so much money in those other platforms. There's like nothing in LinkedIn, right. right? Also, because like it's not why I do it. I think you can monetize it, but it's just not why I do it. But the reason, really, what happened was. I was also like you. I was never on LinkedIn. I, like, I thought it was a place you hop on if you have to get a job or something, right? Mm-hmm. But I was buying a piece of software, and the sales process was really frustrating. Like, I had literally done all my research, had a bunch of conversations, and I had uh, replied to an email of the salesperson and said, hey, like, I'm ready to rock. All we have to do is get on the phone and, like, hammer out the fine details of the contract. And so we did. And sure enough, the sales rep, like, introduced her VP. And then he was like, Hey, it's really nice to meet you. Why don't you tell me about your business? And I was like, I did. I just told you I want to buy something from you. And so I happened to be on LinkedIn that day for some reason. And I noticed you could do like a post, like a Facebook post. And so I did a post. This This is like earlier, two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Three years ago, maybe. But I did a post and and it was accidentally provocative. I didn't, it didn't mean for it to be. And it was accidentally in a format that was like really conducive um, to people responding and kind of understanding. And I posted it and then I just like went away. And then like three or four days later, someone's like, dude, are you checking out your LinkedIn? I'm like, no. And they said, like, it's blowing up. So I hop on there and there's like a million views of the post. There's like 450 comments and people are like, you know, who the hell is this guy? He, he does this post and like, doesn't want to interact. And I was like, (laughs) oh, Hey guys, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know you do that. (laughs) <laughs> and so anyways, the first post I ever did was like, I don't know, 3 million hits. And then after that, it just kind of got bigger and bigger. But like, there was no strategy to it. I write every post pretty much the same way. It's not intentional, but it's just like, I, I think it's how I would make a sales pitch. Like, mm-hmm. turns out it's like bold statement, anecdote to help sort of liken it. Like people understand mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. Usually five or six bullet points on action items like no fluff this is what i'd recommend yeah and then you sum it up and it works i mean it's kind of crazy but like my my post been read by like 150 million people and it's cool because like i don't monetize it i don't get anything from it It does help with like a lot of like recruiting it's like it's one company 25 percent of everybody who came to the company was from following me wow um so it's really cool, but more than anything, it's it's like really cathartic. Like if I have a, if I have a thought, I can get on there. And then with the engagement, like you know, there's a lot of buckets of LinkedIn people. Some people want to troll and argue, but what I'm really looking for is there are some really smart people who will hop on, challenge me. I love being proven wrong, uh, and then you just get in these great discussions, and then you know your network grows, and you know it's it's not. It's not that bad. I mean, my profile gets viewed like 25,000 times a week. So it gives you a lot of confidence. Like, I'm on the right path. Um, you know, because a lot of us have like, you know, kind of that imposter syndrome. Like, you know what? This does resonate. A lot of great people are validating. And uh, I don't know. It's just really cool. Well, and I think a lot of people try really hard to create that. It's like it's the kind of thing that wouldn't have worked had you tried to do it. It's true. What's well, there? Yeah. It's you, you don't like people that 
their ambition in life is to be social media yeah. famous. So they're just constantly trying to do that. I think the best ones are the ones that happen organically. Yeah. So Mark, actually, I think I owe Mark probably a couple lunches because he, <laughs> when I published my book, Mark uh, plugged it for me on LinkedIn. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and, you know, I make like three bucks a pop on those oh, books. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I think Mark probably made me a total of like 50, you know, 50 bucks or something. You so, so you're saying you're like a multi-hundred. I owe, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm up to like 700, co- you know, 700 and something it's copies a, sold. So. Honestly, it's a really good book. What I like about it is uh, you didn't go too long. Like you had a point to make and you made it and it works. Uh, we're about to buy copies for every one of our people and then like do a seminar on exactly how to do it. Um, so like hats off, like it was also inspiring cause I, I'm like halfway through my book and then I stopped cause sometimes you just like get writer's block mm-hmm. and to see that you actually got it published was like, okay, I, I just need to finish it. Well, the it funny done. story about that is that was the result of a hot tub bet at the Marriott down here on the corner, mm-hmm. like three years ago or so. Yeah. And so like we had this like moment of strength and all of us are like, Hey, commitment. Everybody's going to write a book within a year. Adam's the only one that got it done. Took more than a year, but he's the only one that actually got it done. Because he's the most competitive person you'll ever meet in your entire life. Yeah, well, and I thought about it probably for another three or four months. Like, okay, I got to, like, schedule this. And I think everybody else didn't think about it after they, like, dried off that night. But Yeah, it it took me about three and a half years to write an 80-page book. Yeah. But it is hard. Or as my wife calls it, uh, how does she say it? A manual. So So, I think that's what's great about it. So my, my book is... It's intended to be a completely like no fluff. Let's get to work. If you can't act on this today, then just like I'll down. give your money back. Because I, I'm just not big on like I'm not a big motivational speaker guy. I don't need to be pumped up all the time. Like I actually just want to know how to do the job better. So, is that where you think most companies get it wrong? Because you consult and you know I I read your posts and I read some of the the ideas that you have. And they're almost like, do you ever listen to Seth Godin stuff or read Seth Godin? It's refreshingly simple. It's usually stuff that you already know in the back of your brain. You just haven't found a really clean way that resonates with people. So where do you feel like in your um, assessment of other businesses, what's the most common thing that people get wrong, especially sales? Well, I mean, that's a tough question because I, you know, depending on what kind of business, a lot of times, like, let's say it's a startup. Um, is that mostly what you do is startup consulting? It depends. Or? Like it's usually startups who like maybe they got their Series A and they need to know how to spend money. Hmm. Um, but you know, my bread and butter is actually taking larger companies that are pretty well run, but they've hit a big plateau, and they just need to figure out how to get it rolling again. But you know, with it with a startup, a lot of times they the the founder you know has this great belief in what they're doing, but almost believes too much, and they've become less objective about certain things. And maybe they create an environment where others can't be objective as well. Um, and then they also, they, they feel like, okay, what helped us make our first sales? We should just do that over and over and over again. And a lot of times what you find is what they made their first sales from, you know, their network, their connections. I've got one client who, you know, literally every one of the sales, and they've done really well, but every one of their sales has been off the network of a few of their employees. And so they're struggling now because, you know, they've never actually had to like generate a lead and go find somebody organically who is, you know, looking for their product. So we say that all the time where, you know, nobody's asked them some really tough questions to determine whether or not this is this is feasible. And they'll go out and they'll spend a lot of money. And I think that's mostly why they fail. I mean, because there's some great startups that get through that. But usually they have a product that's like transcendent. 
or they have some sales reps that are otherworldly. But the ones that fail, it's it's not because their product's not very good. It's because no one really asked them some really tough questions. So what and, would those questions be? Some examples of those. So say you're in a, a startup, they got that that business you were talking about, they got the first couple sales from a from a really tight employee network. What questions do you start with there? Sure. So um, let's say that you're like on the leading edge and you've just invented a technology and it's really awesome. It's going to make people a ton of money. I have, I have a client like that. And and I listened, we were, we were at a meeting one time and I listened to the founder tell all about why the product was amazing. And this is a meeting on actually how to generate revenue. And I had to stop him and say, that's all fine and good. We all believe that. Like we absolutely believe that if these people buy this product, it's going to be amazing. Problem is, you have not determined any way to actually distribute your product. So let's say that you, you know, you have a software. Well, if, and you want to do paid search. Well, literally no one's searching for your software. You can have unlimited budget and you just simply can't generate those leads. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't do SEO, like SEO doesn't matter if no one is searching for your product. Yeah. And so you see that a lot of times where say, what is your exact go-to-market strategy? Well, we're going to generate a lot of a lot of leads. How? Well, on the internet. Okay. Have you have you grabbed the marketing agency and said how much how many leads could you generate, and got a really honest assessment of that? And sometimes the answer is almost none. You have enough leads for a hobby, but not a business. Okay. Well, then we're gonna we'll cold call. You know, there's no cost of leads. Well, there's a cost of leads. It's the cost of your people to do the cold calls. And what will that cost? And so what I usually do is I take people through an exercise. It's not that complicated. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like a very like a very like pragmatic breakdown. Yeah. Same way maybe we would break down like our reps goals, right? Well, it's when you know the recipe and you see someone cooking not using the recipe, yeah. it's easy to diagnose the problem, right? Yeah, so right. you're you're just looking at it going, "Hey, you you didn't use two cups of flour on yeah. this on these cookies." And I'm here to tell you unless you do that, it's not going to work. Yeah, and there's, I mean, when somebody calls me and says, hey, I want to, you know, start doing this inside sales, I'll say, okay, great, let's just start. What's your target market? How big is it? $27 billion. Okay, cool. If you told me $2 million, like, again, that's a hobby. Um, you know, the next thing is, um, do you have any ability to communicate with your prospects? So your prospect could be Fortune 500 CEOs. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yes. Well, how would you do that? Um, we would... Uh, we would hire salespeople and they would prospect into them. Okay, fine. That seems reasonable. You could do that. How much would you have to pay those salespeople to generate those leads? Because those meetings are really, you know, leads. Well, I don't know. Okay, we'll, we'll do a, a formula on that. And you kind of go through these steps. And a lot of times they realize, okay, this isn't a business. No, it's not. It's not, it's not an inside sales business. It, it could be a door knocking business. Mm-hmm. It could be a convention business. But... We're talking about, in many cases, just simple math. And you'll walk somebody through us. You'll say, show me your model on a spreadsheet. Well, we don't have one. Okay, well, we should do that right now because it might get ugly really fast. Mm-hmm. Other times you show them, and I, I say to them, oh, my gosh, like, you have a winner. If it can be sold, you have a winner because the unit economics are solid. You see it that commonly that people seek your services, sit down, and haven't spreadsheeted it out? If they spreadsheet, a lot of times what they're doing is they're they're doing it in terms of, like, how big their business could be, not not the reality. Really? Yeah. So it's projections, and if it hits big or something like it that. is. Well, like, they assume they they they're assuming everything's going perfect, right? Yeah. So they're 
they're like, hey, if we sell X, Y, Z, here's our margins. We just got to sell it, you know? Yeah, or they're forecasting off their experience selling to their network. Like, you know, I had, I had a, a company say, you know, I, I try to take them through a very granular, you know, funnel. I say, listen, this can actually, it's going to annoy you. But like, you know, we're going to start with like, how many, you know, prospects are, are there? How many we're going to target? How many dials per day? What is going to be your conversion from here? to We go through like 20 steps. And one thing we'll go through is, you know, what do you think your conversion is going to be? And I've had founders say, you know, we'll, we'll be able to you know, convert 40 to 50% of the market. Like, okay, you got to understand Apple has like 7% of the market. Like, that's really hard. And why do you think? Well, we've had seven meetings and we sold four. How'd you get those meetings? Well, it was this, this, and this. All right. That's your network. Mm -hmm. That's to be expected. I'm going to write that down, by the way. I'm going to forecast that for you. In fact, let's start with that. How many people do you have in your network? How many of those meetings can you generate? 23. All right, great. We're going to sell 12. Those are going to be your 12 sales from that. Yeah. That's not a business. Now let's get started on what you would close from somebody you cold called. And, it, and they start to get that look in their eyes like, okay, this is, sometimes they don't want to hear it. Others are like, oh, okay, we need to take this seriously. I want to get into your sales background. Sure. Um, you started inside sales. You started working with inside sales companies about 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so we met at a company I used to work at called Pinnacle Security. Yep. And Mark was the director over, and, uh, over inside sales at yep. that point. But you started that program. It was a program that didn't exist previously. Yeah, pretty right? much. And then you've kind of done that at a couple different companies. So, where, uh, why, uh, how do you, how did you get to a point where you really started to hone in? At the end of the day, you have to be a good salesman to be able to train sales guys and grow a business like that. So, where did you kind of cut your teeth on just learning how to become a really good salesman? Oh gosh, I mean, it's funny. My first ever sales job, my my dad is is like the best type of crazy. We need to do a Mark Senior. Mark Senior is like, amazing. Section. He's he's amazing. <laughs> I've never like, met the man, but he's a time, legend. Yeah, I love Mark Senior yeah. stories. I just love him. He's a legend. So like he literally, somebody showed him what a stun gun was, and he thought <laughs> like everybody should have stun guns. So he bought me like a box of stun batons, and I went door to door when I was like thirteen selling stun batons. Where was this? In just in like Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's how I started, I'm gonna right? My, I'm going to send my 10-year-old <laughs> to go sell stun, stun guns door-to-door -door -door and see what happens. Well, I mean, if you're cute, like, you're going to sell some stun guns, right? I think I pretty much sold out. <laughs> you're an arms dealer. I, oh, gosh, that's so... Oh, can I add that? That's yeah, cool. should we add that on your profile right now? We probably should. <laughs> Juvenile arms dealer. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think when I started in sales, you know, it was, it was actually just... Um, I didn't know what else to do. I was going to be an attorney. And then my dad convinced me that I wasn't suited for that, which I, I really wasn't. And so what did I do? I got a sales job. I was a pharmaceutical salesman. Hated like every second of it. Right but out of college. Why'd you hate it? It's just not me. It's like, you know, I don't love face-to-face -face sales and I don't like long cycle. You know, in the pharmaceutical industry, you're not actually getting somebody to, somebody to purchase anything. You're just influencing a doctor to hopefully write a prescription and you find out a month later whether you did. So you learn very quickly what you what you do and what you don't do. Yeah, like I my my win frequency needs to be pretty quick, or at least my feedback frequency. Like mm -hmm. I need to know every day that I'm getting yeses or like positive momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or else I just can't hang. Like I'll get bored with it. I'll get very frustrated. And that's something that people have got to learn in their career. Like 
you have to know whether your personality would ever be okay with waiting nine months for a yes. Mm-hmm. It might be a $20 million yes, mm-hmm. but I, I get as much enjoyment out of you know second voicing a $50 a month home security deal as I ever got from selling a you know a million dollar something. Yeah. I just want to hear yes, mm-hmm. you know. And so it just wasn't suited for me, but I was like, so what am I gonna do for a living? Like I just got a pharmaceutical sales job, which is like supposedly the greatest job ever. Yeah. And I hated it. Well, luckily my brothers were uh, in the mortgage industry, which was pretty much all inside sales. And they encouraged me to do it. I was pretty crappy at the beginning. But once I sort of figured out um, what it looked like to get someone to say yes to, I was like, okay, that's not that hard. Mm-hmm. And the things kind of took off from there. I was in management pretty quickly after that. And similarly, like I was really bad at it. But I was just fortunate that over time, you know, I got kicked in the teeth enough by like real life, but also had some good mentors that gave me time to get better. So when I started at Pinnacle, I think I was probably like spun a good yarn and talked to a good game. I was good at it. I mean, obviously I was, yeah. I built it from zero to, you know, 1500 accounts a month, but it was still like rel- relatively unpredictable volume. It was stressful volume, you know, and I had to learn how to be a good leader at that point. Well, we've, we've talked about this in the past, which is uh, you're one of the most down to earth and just approachable guys that, especially when I, I met you at Pinnacle and it was, I think we clicked right away and it was just really easy to talk to you and you were always really just down to earth, but it, you've said it yourself. You kind of weren't always that way. No, so, um, I know you've had some, and you mentioned a minute ago, some kind of life things happen to mm-hmm. you. Can you give us a little bit about the, like set the scene pre life things happening to you and then kind of what you went through? Yeah. I mean like greatest life ever. I mean, I was born to like an intact family in Orange County, California, trial attorney father and stay at home mom. They loved me dearly and told me I was great. I had a you know decent face, decent mind and was good at sports and, like sort of like the definition of privilege, right? And it wasn't like I was a bad kid. I wasn't spoiled and I wasn't a jerk and I wasn't bullying people, but like nothing was ever hard for me at all. And, um, you know, whenever there was, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm the one always getting called on in class and always being the team captain. Like, it just was like, I sort of was raised like, well, yeah, like you were meant, you were meant for great things and you were meant for leadership. And so I don't think I ever had to cultivate any talents, right? Like I got by on, just stuff that I was sort of born with. The first thing that hit me was when I was 16, almost 17 years old, I was in like the best shape of my life. I mean, who isn't at that time, but like I was a very serious athlete and um, life was great. And then one day my lungs collapsed and long story short, they found 18 tumors throughout my lungs, my kidney, my liver, my airway. As you can tell, my voice isn't, isn't great. So you're just, what, what was going on? You're playing sports and you, I was playing Couldn't sports. It what? was like during uh, Christmas break time. I was just tired all the time. And they just figured out oh, he's got mono, like, mm-hmm. you know, or he's tired or, you know, whatever it was. You know, treated me for the flu, but nobody took x-rays or anything. And then I think it was actually Christmas Day where I just could not get out of bed. And and um, and we realized something was wrong. And so then that night, like, my parents woke up to me slamming on the on the uh, wall of my room and they rushed me to the hospital. And, and I still remember looking up, my mom was at one of those like x-ray you know, lights with the doctor and he just started circling stuff. And I watched her like run out of the room and I knew something was off. Wow. 
And that started just like, you know, like a nightmare, but probably the, the most important experience of my life. I mean, I was given five months to live. I mean, I had, um, I mean, I don't know how many surgeries, but like literally everything was taken from me immediately. And um, I think I was fortunate. I was been un like unconscious to it. I was, I was 16. Like, I never actually thought I was going to die. I mean, everyone else really thought I was. Yeah, it never, it never crossed my mind, right? But, you know, in the last 20 whatever years that it's been, 20, almost 25 years, I mean, it's been, it's not been easy. I mean, I've had 30, 40 surgeries. I've taken, by my estimation, like probably close to 300,000 pills, gallons of chemotherapy. Um, so what was it? There these tumors, but what was it? Was so was, it so for, first thing, it was just lung cancer, so just metastasized lung cancer. And then... Um, I was diagnosed with a disease called Wegener's granulomatosis, which is now called granulomatosis with polyangitis, because Frederick Wegener, like, literally was a Nazi, and they found that out and, yeah, and that guy decided not to, yeah, he's not to go with that anymore. Um, <laughs> they got to market it. Yeah, seriously. You got to think how you're marketing these things. You come into yeah. the meeting, you're like, guys, I just found out some information. We need to talk about no, this. No, they were thing. like, they were honestly, uh, they were about to give him, like, a posthumous, like, clinician of the century. They researched the guy and they're like, oh, crap, he found, <laughs> like, we now know how he found the disease. He's out. He's out. So, but those are like us OGs, like we still call it Wagner's. Yeah, that's you guys we, know. You're like you a know. text thread. Yeah, so it basically, you know, <laughs> my body forms tumors and my immune system goes and tries to kill the tumors and it kills everything else. And so, in the, like, five years ago, I got this exceptionally rare uh, symptom of an exceptionally rare disease, which is my, where my, my trachea is is basically just failing. So I have like a four millimeter airway and I've got to go um, get surgeries on that all the time just to open it up. And then my lungs are down to like maybe 25% functionality and we have to repair my left lung and stuff. But, you know, that change, like it really changes things. Like there's, you know, when, when you can't do everything anymore, life gets like a lot of perspective to it, you know. But it still wasn't like... It wasn't the thing that really changed my life. I mean, it, it has in many ways. Like, it's led to the adoption of my son. It's led to a tremendous amount of things that I've learned in my life. But honestly, I would say the thing that really kicked me in the teeth the most was, you know, I was young, married, to a beautiful, smart woman. And I think I was pretty bad at being a husband. And uh, you know, I didn't do anything particularly wrong, like none of, the, none of the big things. But I just don't think I was a very good person. I was pretty prideful and mean and um you know, I was the kind of person that got offended a lot and I needed others to fail so I could succeed and and I knew deep down inside I wasn't like that happy of a person but I didn't know it's like life has always been great for me why is this not working and then honestly uh, I got home one day and my apartment was empty my wife had left me and um it was the only way she could get through to me like you're a great guy but you need to find out you know how to be a real a real husband and, uh, you know, it all, it all worked out. We're, we're still together. She came home 10 months later. But what I had to decide... I didn't know if that was Deidre or not. That was. Yeah, it's Deidre. <laughs> we're really grateful that Deidre's around. Yeah, I think as a, as no, a but, collaborative I mean, it, group. But it, like, I don't mind talking about this stuff because, mm -hmm. like, one thing I've learned is you don't get anywhere in life with, like, pride and shame and all that kind of stuff. And right. one thing I firmly believe is, like, I believe... Like, I'm a religious guy, and I believe that God gives us really specific challenges, and I do believe that he doesn't give us things that we can't handle. 
And so I kind of feel sometimes like the more I struggle, the more he believes that I can, I can handle it. I can learn a little bit more, but I also believe that like our trials are for us at that moment. But in the end, I think they're meant for us to be able to help others in the future. I mean, this disease has, has been a blessing for me, but it's been a blessing for many other people that I've helped through that. Um, you know, my marriage breaking down, like saved my life. It, it saved my, it saved my soul because it was my opportunity to see for the first time that, wait a second, you're not happy. And she knows you're better than this. And if you're willing to change for the, and be the better person that she wants you to be, like maybe you'll be happy. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I just decided that life was too short to be some loser who needed negativity in his life and got offended at everything. Like I don't get offended by anything. You know, well, I always, and I've probably said it on this podcast before, but um, I'm a firm believer that whether you believe in God, the universe, whatever, if you either be humble or God or the universe will humble you, oh, yeah. right? And it's sort of this ongoing thing. And the thing that's hard is a lot of it takes, it's not just a one time lesson no. that you're taught, it's a sort of a continual thing. And so you would think, oh, 17-year-old Mark gets lung cancer. That's enough to humble him. He'll now be good. Uh, But no, then it was the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's this pride cycle that I think we all go through to a certain extent, right? So Yeah, hearing you say that, it's interesting because we're all sales professionals. The people that listen to this are predominantly sales professionals. And uh, the thing I admire is your consciousness about it because there are most... Every one of us in this room has felt that. I was not a great husband when I first started out. I, dude, I was driving with my wife two nights ago, and uh, we were listening to this song that I found. It's a great song. It's by D. White. It's called Crazy Man. Okay. And it's going to reveal this weird underground honky-tonk thing I'm into right now. But <laughs> the, he keeps singing about the crazy man doesn't live here anymore. And yeah. I said to my wife, I was like, I, was like, I relate with this song because I used to be like that to you. Like I used to not be great, and I thought... It was her problem or I thought all these other things. And it was really hard for me to get to the point where it's like, this is no picnic for her either, dude. Like, you know what I mean? And I yeah. think, I think especially in jobs where they're fast paced and performance measured and men and women get so much praise, respect, accolades at work. Mm-hmm. Why is it not working as well at home? Right. And I think in order to be a really good um, kind of like complete salesperson, you've got to be pretty dialed, right? It's hard to, to, to not be good in your relationships outside of work and yeah. ultimately be good in your profession. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I listened to, you know, one of your previous podcasts with JLo and you're talking, you guys were talking about like the ego in terms of sales and I agree mm-hmm. completely, but you know, my career has gone more into sales leadership and the ego is not helpful at all in sales leadership. But I understand completely when you're, when you're closing a deal, like you need to believe in yourself and right. you need to believe that everybody loves you and they're going to listen to you. But when it comes to sales leadership, it's a very different thing. And the better you are in your personal life, the better you'll be. I mean, when I, when my wife made me change to be the, you know, we, no one wants to have to change, but we should all try to be the, like, we should change to the things that we should all be better at. Honesty, humility, you know. And when she helped me go through that change, my career just took off. Like, I went from a guy that, it wasn't enough that I was number one. I needed others to like really suck, to feel mm-hmm. better, right? And if and if and if I wasn't number one, I could think of a great reason why it was a fluke and they aren't that good. Just that story you tell yourself. Yeah, and so, but that doesn't work in leadership. Like, 
you have to be somebody who engenders trust. You have to be somebody that finds a way as much as possible for everyone to win. You have to have guiding principles. You know, I never had guiding principles in my life. I thought I did. It's probably like dogma, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but I mean like real guiding principles. And I have those in my leadership career. And I know that if I, if I'm keeping those principles, everything goes well. If I'm violating them, it's a direct correlation. And so it gives you that opportunity to see, you know, to level set all the time. But you can't do that on like a shaky personal personal ground. I totally agree. Like you really have to be self-aware. And if you're not, man, it's it's tough to stay consistently good at what you do. Well, that's what Adam was saying. If you're not self-aware, that's where you get humbled. That's where you get oh, yeah. acted upon, yeah. right? You don't want to be the only one in the room, especially as a leader, that doesn't know a truth, oh, right? Gosh. And yeah. that truth being like, you're a jerk or you're self-centered or whatever. I think I think that's one of those places where it will humble you. Well, yeah. the self-awareness comes from experience yeah. and it's the experience of learning the hard way. And then as you get older and you start to recognize the path you're going down, mm-hmm. that's where the self-awareness starts kicking in, right? Yeah. So, and I think, you know, for our sales guys listening, those, it's a microcosm, that, that big picture is a microcosm of our day-to-day where you have failures daily on the doors or in your cells or in your personal life, you got to really start internalizing that kind of stuff and understand why you're failing. Then you recognize a lot faster and you could internalize it and, and get ahead of it, right? So we were talking, you and I were talking about this the other night yeah. that it's crazy that our sales leaders get so good at communication. They have to. And our salespeople get so good at communication. And then they go home to the people they actually love the most and they can't oh, communicate they or they don't communicate terrible. well or they're short with their kids, myself mm-hmm. included, man. I've got yep. the finger pointed at myself as well. Totally. But it, it's a crazy thing. And I think that should be a collective goal for everybody. And it's a, it's a universal truth. You, it's impossible to separate in sales who you are from what you do. You can yep. hide it for a little bit, but eventually if your life's a disaster, it's all going to come crumbling out, right? Or you, or you just have to recognize that maybe one of the reasons why your spouse does that, you know, I think about my wife, if she sort of lays her burdens on me and maybe is a little mean sometimes. I, I usually can trace it back to she loves me, she trusts me, and I'm somebody she can put her burdens on. She's That's not good. digging into me. She's she's like lightening the load, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we do that. Like, I don't think we mean to burden our kids and our, our wives with our issues, but like sometimes we feel like we have to be so perfect and flawless, and then we get home, it's like, there's my wife. She's locked down. She's not going anywhere. And a man, I can I can just rant tonight. And it's like, eh, I, don't, I don't think they, they enjoy that I, that much. I always think if I treated my wife and my kids like I treat a customer oh, that I know is a fragile little egg yep. for the next three weeks, if I treated my spouse, my kids that way, like when they hit me with something, if I was like, hey, you know, that's a really good concern. Let's talk through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I was like <laughs> hitting them exactly oh, yeah. how I talk to my customers, my relationship would be so much better. So... I do want to switch gears, though. Yeah. Let's talk J.C. Penny. Yeah. So, and we'll get back to this. <laughs> okay. He's we'll, like, I'm alert. I'm here. We'll I'm get. Here. We'll get back to <laughs> this. Is going to come full circle. Okay. Um, one of my favorite things Mark does every year. We need to start doing show notes because they got to see it. You know. Yeah. One of my favorite things Mark does every year is, how old's Roman now? Roman's seven. So Roman, so you've done it seven straight years. We've done it. I mean, we've done it many, many times. I'm not sometimes, sure. Right. Sometimes so it's not even a year. It might even be a, a, a biannual. Yeah. Uh, so twice a year, we'll yeah. call it a, a spring and a fall edition. Sure. Uh, Mark goes to J.C. Penny 
and does a glamour shot ish type understated photo costume. shoot with his son, right? Yes. These are father son yes. pictures. So can you can you walk us through the how this came about and then you know what the what the vision is behind it? And describe what they are, because it's like yeah, I like, look at them and I know you, and so I'm like, my gosh, it's the, it's some of the best art of our day. <laughs> yeah, but, but it only, has like it has the background of a J.C. Penny. Yeah, you know, well, and, J.C. Penny, and the guy yeah. taking the picture cannot tell if you're serious. Yeah, so this or is not. The, this yeah. is okay. This, this is the problem. <laughs> so first of all, you know, I was married for ten years before I came became a father, and so like being a dad hasn't been that hard. I was 33 years old, and couldn't wait to be a dad and I got like a really good son and so like I, I like a lot of stuff built up that I wanted to do <laughs> and so I'm like the guy who's spending like every waking moment with his son and we used to wear Adidas track suits around all the time and one day I was like you know what we just need to get what like, color are we talking red. uh we had red blue black oh, I mean okay, we've yeah. got a ton of them. you're doing it yeah, yeah um and so one day I was like let's we just gotta go to JCPenney and, and take a take a photo <laughs> so we went there and the biggest problem was they like she wanted to give us like instruction I'm like no 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 we're we're just gonna like look up in the sky and then she wanted him to smile I'm like no 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 we're trying to look like pensive and she, finally I was like ma'am now I'm mind gonna... you Roman is like two yeah like, two and he's so Mark happy. is like Roman I said pensive <laughs> no I'm like and he's like at this point he doesn't want to be there and I was like ma'am I, I know you don't understand this but like <laughs> I'm gonna say there's a monkey up in the rafters we're both gonna look up and just hammer those pictures and I'm sure one will be great. And she's so confused. I'm like, just trust me. She does it. And then we go to pick the background and I pick like this terrible prom one. And she's like, sir, like no one chooses that one. I'm like, it's perfect. Yeah. And then I had them like frosted. So like, and so, and, but it confused her so badly. And like another one was like, we got dressed up as um, like, I saw a picture of Alec Baldwin from the eighties. He was in like a Canadian tuxedo with a sash <laughs> with his chest hair sticking out. And I was like, well, that's awesome. So we went and did one there and she kept saying like, you know, do you want cowboy hats? And we're like, well, we're not cowboys. <laughs> she didn't get it. She's Obviously like, we're not She's cowboys. like, well, do you want to take the fanny pack off? I'm like, no, I don't want to take the fanny pack off. Like, just take the pictures. <laughs> You're like, here's the deal. I'm going to come do here a couple times now? a year. Well, like, they do now. Like when I showed up, when we showed up in full mime costume with like paint, <laughs> they got it. But the, dude, the, the problem was... Like, you're also walking through the middle of JCPenney, and there's, like, really nice families dressed up in, like, their matching jeans. And, and they're like going right after yeah, you. And, you're... <laughs> and they're dead serious. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, like I'm a real jerk. But I like taking these photos. So we go hammer them out. And... What do you think Roman tells, like, his friends like he did over the weekend? We're like, well, we dressed up as mimes. Because when you're doing that, he's old enough now, but he wasn't then to know that this isn't something that kids do with their dads no he's, right? i'm not sure he still processes like really? <laughs> yeah this is gonna be when he's in his 20s and by yeah, then it's gonna be so that. dang cool that he's gonna have the best like coffee table book ever yeah but the last one they did like so roman and then we were like we collect teenagers like we've helped raise some kids that aren't ours and for last father's day i came down and they had done a, a photo shoot at jc penny the day before <laughs> with our little three pound yorkie and there's like 12 beautifully framed shots on the wall is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yes. Like, they are so amazing. Roman really got into it. Like the, the the shots are so glamour shot, it's not even funny. So good. It's, it's like such a, a fun tradition. On the on the film or whatever. Yeah, like you know, people who know me, they know I have a lot of stories and a lot of things that they'll think that there's no way that's real. I'm like, no, they're all real. I just had this like I've had this weird Forrest Gumpy life. 
and I have a like a kind of a stupid personality. Like I like I like dumb. Like I have a billboard. I have a billboard with J.C. glamour shots on it. <laughs> on twenty six billboards in Utah. Why? Because I can. Yeah. Like that's all. Well, what's the point? There's no point. I just. I saw it's that the you could get digital that, billboard signage, and I decided to put myself on it. It's the kind of thing that you would do <laughs> if you didn't know a single person in town. Yeah, like I'm in other states. Like in other states, people are seeing me and my son with, with like, the, the quote is like, may your dreams soar upon the wings of a Pegasus. And everyone's like... <laughs> no, the guild. What's gilded the, Pegasus, the gilded yeah. gilded Pegasus. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, doesn't mean... Guys, it doesn't mean anything. If you have to ask, is the it doesn't mean anything. Is the logo on there, or is it just you're just advertising? So they don't put them on, but we are sponsored. Like, they do, they like, they do them for free for us. And they, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like, they've been good sports about it. So I'd like to think that I'm keeping JCPenney. Well, part of the reason I brought this up, I, Ty and I were talking about this before, but you, you've, I think we kind of both admire you, the way you approach being a dad. And um, we actually have a, a guest that's going to be on our podcast. His name's Chad Wright, and I was I was hearing him speak, and he has this big experience that was a major setback in his life, but it made him appreciate so much more once he got to where he was trying to go initially. So, so you, after cancer and through all the treatments and all that kind of stuff, you found out that you weren't able to have kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I actually was working with you when you were kind of going through that and kind of saw how hard that was for you. And then eventually you get the approvals to adopt Roman. Yeah. Do you feel like if you hadn't gone through all that stuff before, how do you feel like that would have changed your approach? Or I guess, how do you feel like it has changed your approach knowing that you, it, it was so hard to even just get to the point of being a father? Oh man. I mean, yeah, it really does go back to like, I'm not one of those people that asks like, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, just, I, I think that's almost like a kind of intellectually sophomoric type of thing. Like, bad things happen, get over it, you know? But sometimes when you're going through things, it's hard to learn. And like, you know, I grew up in a large family. I I wanted to be a dad. And here I am, like after, you know, you don't do like daily chemotherapy for two years in your teens and like end up having, you know, fathering your own children. And I realized how hard that was going to be, especially for my wife. I mean, you probably have listeners who have gone through fertility issues. There is nothing harder on a marriage you know, here I am, no fault of my own, unable to give my wife the thing that she wants so badly. While at the same time, like I want it as well. And, and I'm not feeling like my wife is taking my hurt seriously. It's just like, it's a great way to hate somebody that you love. And, um, and so it's really hard to figure out like, why is it that I'm going through this? Why am I having to put my wife through this? And we had decided that we would only adopt once both of us were on the same page. And that was like, you know, nine and a half years in. And we went through the adoption process and you have to kind of get approved through the state and all that. And I kid you not, like we got approved and they put you on like on a website as available birth parents. And we were chosen uh, within 24 hours. And the process was so like awe-inspiring that it's, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle. You know, when, and I could go into that for hours, but like it, it was the most special process in the world. And when, when Roman was placed in my arms the first time, we were there when he was born. My wife cut the cord. Like they say, when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. 
I can tell you that when I saw my son for the first time, there's a photo of it. Like my life flashed before my eyes. And I just, it was like the most fulfilling experience to know that everything I had been through in my life led me to this. I would not be his father without that disease. I would not be his father without going through all those hardships and without Deidre and I going through those arguments and going through the ups and downs and wondering whether we should just separate. And in the end, like you see your kid and you realize, oh my gosh, he's always been my son. I mean, it, it helps that he looks like me, but I know I, the kid could have looked nothing like me. And I would have, would have told you like, God chose for us to be together. Like he, he's, he's my boy. And I guess what I would say to people is we typically don't learn in the midst of crisis. I would say don't even try to learn in the midst of crisis. We typically learn in hindsight. I think you need to survive the crisis. Put yourself in a situation to survive the crisis. And then later on, I think you can look back and learn that there really was a purpose for those things. And if you can't see the purpose right away, you can typically create a purpose. Well, for me, anybody going through fertility issues, wondering whether they can make it through, I'm telling you, you can make it through because there is a plan for you. And the children that come to you in whatever way they come to you, like, I, I'm telling you, you'll connect with them immediately. And I can't, I can't imagine my experience being any different way. You know, I, I literally wouldn't trade it for a, a, for a billion dollars. I wouldn't go back in time and alter a thing. Um, that's not to say it was easy. Like, all those hard things still happened. But I certainly feel justified. I feel like it was, like, God knew me and it was fair. I just didn't know it for, like, 10 years, you know. Um, but I think you have to do that in life. I think you just have to, like, you have to embrace the hard things. Because um, I don't know what the other option is. Like, it's not in the three of us to give up, right? I don't judge people who do. But, like, it's not in us to give up. And so you just keep one foot in front of the other. And you learn to embrace, like, okay, there's got to be a reason for this. I'm going to try to learn. I'm going to try to survive. And, the, and the, what, what you find out, and we actually learned this from Roman's birth mom. You know, I, I asked her one time, you know, um, her feeling on, on the whole process. Like, was this meant to be? And she said, no, it wasn't meant to be. You know, God didn't want me to be in this situation. She goes, but the second I made a choice that irreparably took me off the original path God had for me, he made another one. And this is part of that path. And what we, and I firmly believe that, like your life can be going one way and it can change in a heartbeat, death, bankruptcy, sickness, whatever it may be. And I truly believe that, what, you know, Adam, like you said, God or the universe, whatever you believe in, the second your path changes, there's another path. You just need to go find it. And the path leads to the same spot. It still leads to happiness. You just might have to get used to a different type of happiness. Um, and th that's why li like life is not that hard. I, I don't try to sound like some sort of, you know, Gandhi or Mother Teresa when I say that all of these trials in my life, like, I don't think anything of them. I think they're great. I wouldn't trade them. I wouldn't go back and change a thing. Um, sometimes in the midst of it, you're like, man, this really sucks. But they're, like, they're all for us to just get stronger as people. I think... Uh... Man, the, the thought I had on this is our original intent, you know, we try to have people on this show that are experts in their field, you know, 
and in discussing you know it's a different kind of sales field that we can that we can you know draw correlations to and stuff which is the reason for having you on right we like well we know mark and mark's great uh and what this has turned into i think has been a completely different direction than i thought but i can't help but think that myself included and the people that are listening need to hear this kind of stuff because it's real and it's raw and there's so many funny stories that we're not going to get to we'll have to have a mark smith yeah. part two <laughs> but i'm really surprised and grateful because i think this your experience is going to help a lot of people. I hope so. You know, we have friends that are going through tough times right now. And uh, I, I don't think it's really good for us to say, hey, don't worry, it all works out. Like, that, that's not helpful. But we know that it does. And as friends, we can, from the sidelines, we can help them go through those things. And that's the other thing I would encourage people. Like, uh, this may not have wanted to turn into a Dr. Phil session, but Dr. Phil sessions are, are great sometimes. Like, yeah. if you've been through something... It's not yours. Like you have to be willing to share it with others. There is a young person going through a miserable time right now and they have nobody helping them. If you've been through the same thing they're going through, shame on you if you don't pull them aside and tell them, get vulnerable with them, like be very honest. Mm. By the way, you realize that after you got that off your chest and helped them out, you realize that that, that trial just became like something really empowering in your own life. Mm -hmm. When you see that, the thing that you went through can help somebody else, you know, n not go kill themselves. It's, it's amazing how much value you can see in your own life and the things that you've gone through. So like, you know, fathers don't hide your fears from your kids. You know, don't hide them from your wife. Don't hide them from teenagers going through tough things. You know, call your parents and ask them to be real with you for a little bit and talk to you about the things they went through. And you start to have these really amazing human connections. And they do help in every other thing. Like, not to like segue back to sales, but like so much of my career has been because I can take basic life lessons about struggle, humility, and I can help people going through difficult times in their careers, whether it's a, in their sales or just in their, like they have a tough time finding where they're supposed to go in their career. All these life lessons, like they, they relate. And if you have that well-rounded life, it's not that hard to have a really well-rounded career as well. Mark, you told me once we were we were having a conversation in your office and we were talking about books. And this is before you had Roman. And I remember you told me, you said, Some someday when I have a kid, when I'm old or after I die, I want my kid to be able to look at my bookshelf and by the books he sees, understand and know his dad. Which I thought was really cool. And um, a book that you actually recommended to me uh, just came out in oh, the gosh. movies, right? Are you uh, going to see it? Do we the, share this? Oh, my god! The Art of Racing in the Rain. So Adam recommended this to me. So I recommend, I recommended it to dozens of people. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually looked on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like a 50% yeah. Rotten Tomatoes score. But I can see that. it's like predictable tearjerker. Like you yeah. will you'll cry the whole minute. So. I'm going to go see it, obviously. It's okay. a, one of my all-time favorite books, right? Like if you can make it past the third page without crying, yeah, you have no, no soul. It's one of my, my all-time. So if you need to have I a cry, get the book Ty. and just read it. I recommended it to Ty, and he's like, yeah, I'm not reading a book that's told by a dog. And I'm oh, like, Ty, no, I'm, you are. I'm like, just read God. the book, yeah. Ty. And I've since recommended it to probably 50 people. We gave it to Todd Peterson after his podcast episode. Yeah. But um, he didn't tell. He's like, there's this great book. You should read it. And I'm like. 
this is a stupid book about animals. No. And then I got in a little bit and I was like, this is everything. It is. Right? It's really <laughs> this good. This is everything. It is. it is really good. I wanted to ask you, though, what book are you reading right now? So I'm not reading anything right this second, but I just finished a book called uh, Say Nothing, which is about the troubles in Northern Ireland. I don't actually read a lot of uh, like management and self-help books. What I try to do is get books that like I can learn real life stories. And, right. You know, it's so like recently you know, read again, like 1776. And, you know, you just get to learn about like the genius of George Washington, who, by the way, was like a pretty crappy general who had to learn how to be good. And it's like remarkable to learn from him. Mm. Team of rivals about Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. basically having a cabinet full of people who wanted the job and the way he's able to, to in some ways manipulate, but really just win over people. But say nothing. I mean, it's, a, it's not exactly something that's going to make you feel good at the end, but it talks about, you know, two cultures that were literally at war with each other in, in the most horrible ways. And you can learn a lot from what these people went through. Um, in some ways, some really pretty nasty stories, but, you know, just how you see um, people's passions and how they get over the top and how you can control those passions, how you can reconcile, how you can, you know, even with people who are literally trying to kill them, kill each other, how you can get them to maybe see some common ground and find some peace and you know, it's a great one. Um, I can't remember what I read right the before. Other, the other thing I wanted to ask Mark about, um, and we're almost out of time, but you alluded to it earlier. You said we collect teenagers. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm aware of one story where you really helped someone kind of go through a pretty tough time in his life. Um, if you don't mind, maybe just sharing high-level view of that story. Yeah. But the bigger picture that I want to ask you about is – why do you do it? Yeah, so that that young man. Um, and just kind of explain what you did, I guess. Yeah, so, so that young man was hanging out at the house. I knew him a little bit, knew his family, but we weren't close. But he was hanging around the house doing a lot of like, you know, like uh, handiwork for my wife. But I noticed he was there a lot. And I could tell something was weighing on him. And so one day I tried to get him to, to share. And he was really close, but I think I actually like, like did the, the the cardinal like saying like I, I spoke too soon, I should have just like waited. So the next day I took him out and I knew what he was struggling with, but I, I had to make him say it. And you know he was uh, you know he he was isolating himself and afraid to sort of admit who he was. And I got him to acknowledge that you know that he was gay. And and uh, I'd never been through that. Like I, I've tangentially known gay people and. But I, I've never watched a 18-year-old kid like sob his eyes out and tell me how miserable his life has been and and the things he's gone through. And so all I really did at that point was just say, you know, listen, man, like I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you that like you're not a mistake. I think you're amazing. We love you. And if you need a safe place to live, like just come live with us. And that's really what we did for the next, you know, long while. I just want to make sure he wasn't isolated. I just told him from day one, like, I don't know how to help you through a lot of this stuff. Like, but there's a lot of principles I can teach you and I can certainly create a safe space. He's been like a son to me. He's uh, just one of the greatest kids ever. And, um, you know, similarly, we we have a a girl who uh, is like a daughter to me whose just father was... Um, not a great person and you know one of the reasons I do it is because I hear all the time that kids these days aren't all that great I think they're amazing 
Like, I think these kids are so awesome and I would, I would do anything to have kids like this as my children and to watch their families treat them so poorly because they don't fit into their perfect mold, I just think is like downright sinful. And so if they can't have a safe place at home, they'll have a safe place at mine. I mean, selfishly, I, I truly love them and I love having them around. I mean, they're like children and, and um, they've just been such a tremendous blessing. But, you know, I had a good life. I've always, I've had people there for me. I've never once been rejected by, you know, adults. But I just, I don't know, there's something in me that, in my wife especially, that we're not going to let like a 17, 18 year old kid feel like they're the scum of the earth because their lifestyle is slightly different. I mean, these are amazing kids, you know. I don't think that, you know, the bad apples, we hear about them because I think they're actually kind of rare. I think most kids these days are, they're like, your kids. they're smarter than us, they're better than us. If we reject them, it's usually because we know that they're probably gonna have a cooler future than us. Mm -hmm. We're jealous. But I don't know, I just think that you, you have to open up your home. You have to open up your, like your heart and your vulnerability. If you're not willing to do that, what's the point? Like, what is the point of living a life where you're not willing to help anybody other than like your immediate family? It's just, it's not very useful. Hearing that makes the the photos that they did so much. It's perfect. Oh, they're amazing. It's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. Layers. Yeah, we're sending one off to college uh, to tomorrow, which is like absolutely breaking my heart. But yeah. I couldn't be prouder. She's worked two jobs. She just launched an album today. Um, and I, she's just the best girl ever. And uh, she's brought as much to our life as, as we brought to hers. And uh, I suppose we'll have to pick up another straight teenager. Just, just be careful, like, going, you're a car collector, so what car you pick, how you collect the teenager, just be careful, yeah. It's true, but I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think in all seriousness, like, you don't really pick them. Like, they have a way yeah. of picking you. Yeah. Like, God has a way of putting people on your path. And you just have to be willing to, to respond when the time comes. And, you know, I shudder to think if I've ever had, ever had times where I could have helped and I just wasn't open to it. Mm. But I promise you, whether it's in your church or in your community, like, there is a kid going through a tough time. And you can help them, and uh, you just need to. Yeah, it's really. Uh, I know you don't do it so that your friends tell you that it's great, but it's 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 a great message to hear. And I think it's no question why you've had success in your career because principles, right? People who people who know the kind of experience they want to have in this life generally can architect success in sales. So. Uh, we appreciate you being on, man. This has been an incredible Thanks episode. For Real honor with you guys. Yeah, you're a great friend, and and we really appreciate appreciate you being open and vulnerable and, and sharing with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. The week presents Electric People.